I'm Matthew Woods, host of Leading Out of the Woods, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another wonderful episode of My EdTech Life. I am so excited that you are joining us here today on this very, very special day. Today is our 100th episode, and I am so excited because we've got a wonderful guest here tonight, Mr. George Koros, who is has done the honor <laughs> of accepting this invite here today, and I'm just so excited to pick his brain, to talk to him, and just have him share just a, a wealth of knowledge. And of course, if there's somebody there that doesn't know George, you will definitely get to know George today and make sure that you connect with him as well. But to all of our followers, our listeners, our watchers, viewers, wherever it is you are in the world, I want to say just really thank you from the bottom of my heart for <laughs> for making this happen. Like I, I never thought that I would make it this far and it's because of you and because of the passion for education and me wanting to amplify teachers' voices and connecting teachers, creators, educators, one show at a time has been my goal. And I want to thank every single one of you for making that happen. But uh, before we start going into waterworks or anything, let's go hop straight into the show. <laughs> and um, George, thank you so much for being here today on this wonderful occasion. And I can think of a better guest to have on to just celebrate the 100th episode. So George, how are you doing today? Hey, you know what? First of all, you know, I don't know if you follow my podcast, but 100th episode, you know what's coming. Yes. <laughs> you got that shout out, Airhorn. Congratulations. I, I'm sitting here. I'm watching uh, your video introduction. I'm watching all this stuff. I've seen your podcast on TikTok a million times. And it, like, I don't even want to talk about anything. I just want to like get you to explain how you do all this stuff because it's absolutely incredible, right? And just awesome to see. And for people who don't know, Fonz actually DM me on Twitter. I'm going to, I'm going to out you right now. Cause you DM me on Twitter and you're like, Hey, I would love for you to be on my podcast for my hundredth episode. And I responded about 10 seconds. And I said, of course I'll be on your episode. And then you never responded back for like forever. I'm like, probably got Katie Novak to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I got outed. I, I'm out. I'm out. So I was like, what happened? Am I not, am I not going to be your guest anymore? So I, I'm glad you got back to me. So I'm, I'm honored to be here and you do a fantastic job. And just looking at the comments, uh, you can tell people just absolutely uh, adore this podcast. So you do and great job. I'm, I'm jealous already. I'm loving your Canva. The, the intro is amazing. Who, how did you do that? I got to ask. Uh, I have a friend of mine who's a videographer and we went to downtown McAllen and these are just scenes here from uh, my local area because I just said, I, I just want to show where I'm from yeah. and just add that little uh, seasoning to just the show. And that's it. So we, we I, I got to get that. videographer friends. That's what yes. I got to do. Right. Yes, That's for real. Cool. For you real. do a great job. Very great job. Hey, well, I want to give a shout out here to Dr. Rene Corbet, who actually the master's program in EdTech. He was my very first guest on April 10th, 2020. So he's here. And also uh, Dr. Marielena Corbet 
his wife. So we're really, I'm really excited and thankful for them and for their support as well. We've got Leslie who's joining us from Australia. We've got Amanda from California. We've got Mel from Australia via Colombia because she teaches in Colombia. So thank you guys for being here today. I really appreciate y'all as you join us, uh, you know, and again, uh, making this possible. But this show I'm, I'm, this show's about George. We're celebrating, but I'm celebrating because I get the opportunity to interview one of just somebody who's influenced me in my practice just through his writing, through his podcast, his blogging, and just the wonderful things that he shares, you know, just putting things into perspective. And we're going to be talking about today something that's very important and just creating meaningful change. And uh, that's something that I know that George really talks about. And I, I always get a lot from his blog that he does share, you know, three the, the three things that he shares. I always look forward to that on my email. So make sure that you subscribe to that and we'll get you all that info. But George, before we get started, if there is anybody out there right now in the universe that may not be familiar with your work and what it is that you right. do, can you just give us a brief introduction and just your context and education? And if you if you can, please add one interesting thing about yourself that people may not know. Well, it's actually interesting because I think, you know, because we are in these educational technology spaces and we all like I've followed you on TikTok, right? And congratulations on night. 100th episode, but you're blown up on TikTok right now, which is really, really cool. Uh, so I always, honestly, if 1% of 1% of people in education know me, I would be blown away. Like that's, uh, you know, so I think it's kind of rerunning the same circles. And I think for me, what I try to do, and I think is really important to me, I don't really, I don't tell anyone, here's what you should do for teaching. Here's how you should go through your process. I just try to learn openly. And I think that uh, I've had a lot of stumbles along the way, have struggled um, in not only professionally, but personally. And I think sharing those things uh, connects to people because uh, I, I hope to share some uh, like, you know, authentically, you can see I kind of joke around. I, I'm going to warn you, if you say the word shout out again, every time you say that, I'm going to hit that button. Right? Yeah, so, I saw I saw Tim's show when you were on and he, he kept you just right. kept going off and on. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So like a guy, like I, I actually and I feel really blessed because I. Um, I didn't want to be a teacher. I went into university because my parents forced me to go. Uh, my parents are both immigrants to Canada from Greece and had a grade six and a grade two education combined. And basically, they saw education as a way to a better life. So I had no choice but to go to university. Like You had to go whether you knew what you wanted to do. And so I really kind of have that feeling where I want to make sure for all kids that they see education as a way to something better. And it doesn't mean an education is a way to college or education way to university, it's education is a way to, you know, improve life. And so that's something that's, um, you know, really kind of grounded in my work. I think a lot of people know me um, for innovation, for maybe educational technology. But if you actually follow my work, it's really grounded on how we connect with people, how we build relationships, because no one becomes innovative. Um, but no one becomes innovative by doing things that they hate. No one becomes innovative in spaces where they don't feel trusted, where they don't feel that someone's got their back if they make a mistake when they're trying something new. So I think that really is maybe what separates some of the work that I do, because I think a lot of times people hear the word innovation and they're like cool stuff. And I'm not against cool stuff, but I think there's more to it than that. Uh, a little something about me that people might not know. Uh, over the last you know year and a half, I've been on a really tremendous health journey. I've lost, I think, uh, 115 pounds. 
over this time. And so I really wanted to get my health in check. And I think it's really kind of grounded me and recalibrated me. And I've tried to use this time to kind of really rethink not only what I do again, professionally, but you know how I live my life personally, what I want to model to my kids, how they see me as a learner, how they see me uh, as developing. I think that's something that is really important to me. And I think, you know, probably a lot of people, if you follow me, you know that as well, but it's something that I'm, I'm really passionate about as well. I love it. You know, and, and everything that you put out is amazing. And I love that you include family, you know, you find that balance. I mean, everything that you've done, I know prior to, to COVID, I mean, you're everywhere, literally. I mean, mm. you're flying everywhere, following you on Twitter. You're here, you're there, you're this. And of course, everything closed down. And, you know, you've now you've got put things into perspective. You know, your journey, you know, through weight loss, also inspiring so many and so many other educators also. But then what I love, too, is just those moments that you share, you know, your your girls growing up, those moments mm. that you have. And that's something that is important, too, to understand, like, hey, George Coros is a human being. He is a real person, you know, like yeah, he's, right. he's got family. And oftentimes people don't see that. They see like the the George Coros, maybe the persona, the the innovators mindset, you know, the blog, the podcast. But I just love the way that you bring it all together. And that's why like your blog is something that I look forward to, because you just put things into perspective and finding that balance. And that's something that's wonderful. So thank you for that and the work that you do. But now w- one of the things that I love to do though, as, as we start the show is I always love to f- hear people's origin stories. And you told us a little bit about that as far as your, your yeah. parents' education level, you didn't even want to go to college, things like that, or, you know, be a teacher, but I didn't want to be a teacher, but I fell into education and absolutely fell in love with everything about education. I mean, die hard. This is, this is my jam and I never wanted to do that, but I'm curious to know your story. So you didn't want to be an educator, but what prompted you? What sparked you? Was it a teacher or was it one of those fork in the road moments of, well, I either work here or work there. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it was actually, I'm not even kidding. It was the movie, Billy Madison. I'm not even (laughs) kidding. So I like was, you know, kind of lost and I saw Billy Madison. I'm like, Oh, kindergarten, that would be fun. Like that looks super fun. Right. And I've always actually, like, I've always loved working with kids. Even when I was in high school, we used to have like a buddy program. It was one of my, you know, favorite things uh, to do in education. So I actually trained to become, uh, no, I wish I was kidding. I trained to become a kindergarten teacher because I, I love the movie Billy Madison. I thought that looks super fun. And so I, I applied for a kindergarten position. It was my very first job interview and had this interview. I was really excited about it. Something I was really passionate about. And I went into this interview and to be honest with you, Fonz, I actually, I nailed it. I knocked it out of the park and I was so pumped. I'm like, I think I got this job. I, I do. They seemed really into what I was doing. But I, I noticed that during the interview, uh, I actually, when I was in college, I, I created a website and it was like one day somebody sat with me. And when I say I created it, I basically watched someone do it. And then I press enter at the end. Like that was the whole process. And so of course, I throw it on my resume because like I made that, right? And so, I, you know, you want to like kind of pump yourself up. And in the interview, for some reason, they kept asking me about my ability with technology. And I'm like, this is kind of weird because I'm not really into technology. I was actually against them forcing us, I'm not even kidding, to have email accounts. I was like, how dare you make us have an email account uh, at the college level? And so uh, they 
you were asking these questions and then I left the interview, felt really good about it. They called me back, said, Hey, you know what? We loved you. We thought you'd had a really great interview. There's going to be a job for you at some point. Uh, we just don't feel that this is the right position for you right now. And so I was devastated. I was really bothered by it because I really wanted to, uh, you know, teach kindergarten. And then about two weeks later, and I think this is a really good lesson for people listening to, I actually called them and I said, Hey, I, I'm really new to the profession. I, I want to get better. And I just would love some feedback on my interview. Is there something I could have done better? Is there something that I could do to kind of help me, you know, through this process? And when they talked to me, the superintendent actually got on the phone with me. He said, weirdly enough, we were going to call you today because we want to offer you a high school technology job. So I was like, what are you talking about? Like, why would I teach this? So they saw this like little blip on my my resume that had to do with technology but a little blip in 1999 was like massive amounts of knowledge they assumed so so they i i was like i don't want to teach high school i don't want to teach technology that's not my thing so i talked to my cooperating teacher and i said what do you think i should do she said it is very hard to get a job take get your foot in the door take the job it's only for a couple months because at the end of the school year so i would take it and see how it goes so I, I did this and basically we had these modules. Uh, I, ha I did high school technology. I taught some, you know, grade seven English. It was actually a K to 12 school. And what I would do is I would go into the classroom probably about an hour before class and I would go through the modules and try to figure out how to do them because I had no clue. And then the students would come in an hour later. So I was basically like 30 minutes ahead of them. That was kind of the process of how this was. But it actually really shifted how I looked at education because I would be going through something, I'd be struggling, and I'd say like, hey, does anyone know actually how to do this? And the students would be like, oh yeah, I can help you, I can help you. And it really created this learning community, right? And it was something that I saw as valuable, not only in technology classes, but in all classes, right? And when kids know you don't know things, but you know, you bring knowledge, they feel valued. They want to share, they want to learn, they want to figure stuff out. I think a lot of people are, are nervous about that, feeling, well, I'm not the expert in all things. I don't, I don't want to be vulnerable in that space. And so that actually went really, really well. So well that they actually offered it to me because it was just a year, a couple months job to fill in for a teacher that they actually offered it for me the next year. And I was like, I don't really want to teach high school. I, I do want to teach elementary. And so a grade four position opened up, but it had halftime ed tech coordinator. So I taught high school technology. So now I'm like good enough, you know, with two months of education that I could actually run technology for the entire school. You know, in 2000, that's like a, a lot of knowledge. And so basically every job kind of had some technology tied to it. And, you know, I kind of just jumped around from job to job to job. And then uh, just on a whim, I applied for assistant principal job and got it surprisingly. And that led to a principalship. Then it led to me, you know, working at central office, training principals. But it's always kind of that innovative focus in leadership. And I think it's really kind of imperative that we have leaders who kind of have an understanding of this stuff. Because I think a lot of times I get teachers really excited, wanting to try new things. But then they, excuse me, they have a principal who doesn't understand this stuff and then they just squash it, right? And a lot of times we make decisions based on a lack of knowledge, not an abundance. And I think that to me is really important is that we want teachers more excited about these ideas when they enter, our, you know, when they leave our offices, than you know, depleted after the fact. 
So a lot of this journey, to be honest with you, was accidental, but it's shaped a lot of how I think and who I am today. That's wonderful. And I love a lot of what you said as far as your classroom practice. It really resonates with me. And everybody's heard it here on the show. I mean, if you've been watching us, we say the same thing. You know, it's okay to not know everything. And going in, starting in high school, going from a business background, marketing, and going into high school algebra, I had no idea what I was doing, but I used my marketing principles to know that I have 30 different customers in front of me that I have to sell algebra to. And I always told people and jokingly, I say, you know, back in 2005, 2006, I was doing personalized learning before it was even a buzzword, you know, because of marketing, you know, so doing that. But it wasn't until I went down to elementary when I started doing fifth and sixth grade that I really honed in my skills and really understood what it was to not be the sage on the stage, but to really create that culture where the kids were excited about learning and I'm learning right along with them. And it was wonderful. It was phenomenal. Like attendance was up. Kids were excited. I had students that would tell their parents, "Um, can you please reschedule my dentist appointment? Because I don't want to miss what we're going to do in science because they get excited. And oftentimes I really wish that administrators would build up that kind of excitement for our teachers. And like you said, you know, think about bringing that excitement, get finding out what their, I say love language is to be able to communicate with them, bring that level of excitement as you were when you were a classroom teacher and allow the, the teachers to be innovative, play within that sandbox and not be too linear, giving them a little bit of freedom. And I understand we need to make sure we teach our standards correctly, but let's, make it fun. <laughs> Let's see what we can do and right. make those connections. So those are some of the things that I've seen and that I reflect on continually. And it's something that's important. And, you know, conversations out there. I mean, it's out in the open. There's a lot of teachers that just feel like, oh, man, I, I can't be myself. Like I need to follow totally. this rigid plan, linear plan. So yeah. yeah. As an administrator, one of the things that I really try to do was replicate the experience that I hope for students in professional learning opportunities. So a lot of times what I've watched is uh, an administrator will say, and they still say this too, by the way, is, hey, we want to look at 21st century learning. So here's a PowerPoint with bullet points, and I'm going to walk you through it, what that looks like. Now go make that happen. And what I really understand, and this is there's, there's this, this disconnect that basically all these young teachers will come into the profession and it's just gonna totally change how we teach and learn because they grew up with these tools. They grew up with this new, you know, this new way of learning. And what I've actually seen in many cases is that too often, a lot of the newer teachers really go to traditional methods because they teach the way they were taught. And so that is really, so the disconnect is that young people are innovative, old people, super traditional, you know, more experienced teachers, they're going to go back to this. And I've actually seen the opposite. I've actually seen some of the most innovative teachers and not always the case, obviously, you know, you know, 30, 40 years into the profession where I've seen some of the most traditional teachers, you know, one or two years in. And that's really kind of the whole notion of mindset is like, how do we look at these things? But to, you know, as we talked about earlier, the theme of the podcast today is how do we create meaningful change? So what I actually wanted to do in the professional learning opportunities, and I did this as an administrator, I do this, you know, as someone who goes and does professional learning with schools all over the world, is I try to recreate an experience where people go, they feel something different. They feel that and they're like, I want to recreate this 
experience, what I'm doing in this class, in, in this session today for my students. And we talk about that quite often. And I'll actually be very explicit. I'm like, hey, did you see how we did this today? Here's a way that I would actually implement this with you know grade one students and trying to make those explicit connections. And it was the same thing when we worked with our parents, we would often bring them into our professional learning sessions uh, like we'd bring parents into it from our community and they would sit with us. They would actually go through and experience what students were having. And here's like a lie we've been telling in education forever is that parents want the same experience for their kids that they actually had when they were students. It's a total lie. Parents want what's best for their children. But if they know no different experience, they they default thinking that was the best. So when we actually brought parents in and started doing these different learning experiences and they would go through this, they would leave those professional learning days like, this is so much better than I was a kid. I cannot wait. And then they would become our advocates in the community. And I think that's really something that, you know, as you said, so, so beautifully, you have to change that experience for educators because a lot of times, you know, you watch teachers going into like an auditorium with their kids and they're like, you need to sit in front. You need to be right at the front. You need to pay attention. And then we have a PD day and the teachers come early so they could sit as far away as possible. And I don't blame them because they have this history of like the professional learning just being terrible and boring and not actually making connection to that. And when I go into these experiences, like I have content that I share but I do everything I can to personalize it to the people in front of me. And people will say like, well, what's your schedule for the day? I'm like, I don't know. I have to meet the group that I'm working with. And like, what, what do you mean? I said, well, because I don't know what they need. I don't know who they are. I don't know what they want to focus on. So as I have conversations throughout the day, because I know my content so well, I'm going to shift it to the group the same way I'd hope for a teacher to do with their students. Know your kids. And then we shift in that, that space, right? So I always encourage teachers that we got to adapt to the kids in front of us, but that's not really good modeling if I don't do the same for the teachers that I serve. And I love what you're saying there, you know, because for myself also, and for a lot of teachers, I want to go back to what you're saying. You know, when I first got into the teaching profession, I taught algebra the way that I was taught. And it wasn't until later, actually, it wasn't until these last four years working in my current role where I've been able to meet just amazing math specialists who taught me math and opened up my eyes to concrete pictorial abstract using math manipulatives, using area models, using, and I thought to myself, man, this was so new and so fresh. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was so innovative. And I was like, man, if I could go back in time and teach it this way, I would be just smashing those, those tests right. and doing great because I'm offering something to my students that can be used across the board, even from the most advanced to, um, you know, maybe our, our students that need more supports. And like, I'm going to throw this out there. Like Katie says, what's good for one is good for right. all in that sense, making the classroom accessible. And right now, you know, a lot of our benchmarks, a lot of our tests are inaccessible because we haven't had an opportunity to really teach in a or that freedom to teach in an innovative way and meeting right. your students right where they're at. Yeah. And like, 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 as you said, uh, teaching gets passed down and here, here's an example. So just for the people that are watching this right now, Bonds is in Texas, right? McAllen, Texas, basically as South as you can go in the state of Texas. Is that correct? Yes. I'm in, I'm basically the, the, the most Northern city in the world with a population of over a million. So, and right now 
I could take skates and go on the road because it's so icy right now. Okay. So we live in two totally different areas. I'm going to ask you this question. I want an honest truth. Did you ever say, or did you ever hear a teacher say, the bell doesn't dismiss you? I dismiss you. Did you yes. ever hear? That? Okay. So, yes. like, so, like, your teacher, by the way, didn't make that up. My teacher didn't make it up. I use it in the classroom. Most people that are listening to this, probably no matter where you're in the world, said a variation of this. So that was just a, that was something that was passed down, right? Like you hear that, then you become a teacher and then you're like, yeah, I'm going to say, I'm going to say that to the kids, right? It's not like something you just come up with on the spot. It's something that is passed down, you know, generation after generation. And so I think we got to kind of have that, that little blip where we're changing some of these experiences. Like even when you talked about, you know, these tests don't work, a lot of the schools, and this is, this is going to be controversial because I get pushed back on this all the time. We talk about personalized learning, but then we also focus on standardized assessments. And I'm like, well, that's really, that's kind of counterintuitive, right? So if you have a student who English might not be their first language, but then you, you, you test them on science and you depend on their ability to write about their understanding of science, you're not assessing their knowledge of science. You're assessing their, their ability to write about their understanding of science. Those are two different things. So it's okay to like say like, hey, here are the common understandings that we actually expect from our kids, but are there different ways we can actually assess how we get that information out and actually connect that? Because, you know, I, I might not be right now, you think about this, some people would love to start their own podcast and would be wonderful with it. And some people are like, over my dead body, will I actually go on video, talk the time, but I love writing. I love doing this. And so we honor that and we, we, want people to go to their strengths but then we actually say like hey you can do all these different things but everyone has to be assessed the same way and my mentor kelly wilkins she said this to me is that the way we assess drives our teaching not the other way around so a lot of times you say like oh teachers teach the test well why do they teach the test because at the beginning of the year the superintendent puts all the test scores up and says you better drive this data up and they're like okay well i got to teach the test because basically i got to get those numbers up and so when you, that's all you hear about and everything is, you know, talking about data and talking about test scores, then we actually go to space because we talk about what those assessments, what assessments we're looking for. And then we move backwards from there and usually not the other way around. Yeah. And, you know, right now what you said, you know, teaching to the test and so on. Uh, actually, I think it might've been Amanda who's joining us right now on the show from California. She posted this picture up and maybe I, I'm, I, this is the way I understood it. It says, uh, and this is uh, Thomas Murray who says, right now, your school's culture perfectly aligns with the mindset and actions of the adults in your building. So like you said, it's aligning. Superintendent puts up the data, the numbers, yep. pump up those numbers. And this is what we need to do. And that's it. You know, I don't care how you do it, but you get it done. Uh, but, you know, like I said, and there's no room for that. Now, my classroom, one of the things that I learned in the last three years when I was in the classroom, it was that personalized learning aspect. And like you said, I respected my students that were coming in. And I had a lot of students here in our demographic area that come in where English is their second language, mm -hmm. but I knew that they didn't want to get up and present. And, but when I would put a Chromebook in front of them, man, they spoke loudly through their right. Google slide presentation and they showed the mastery of the content 
in in that picture form. And then I've had other students that would do Screencastify. I would have other students that would do drawings, all with still meeting, of course, our, our right. rubric and uh, the expectations and the mastery. And everything was fine. Yeah, the class was a little loud because people had to move around. But I mean, to me, I was like, the, they were engaged and they were learning, you know, while other, you know, the across the hall, it was just worksheet after worksheet after worksheet after worksheet, mm -hmm. pretty much just standardizing the the teaching in that sense of just worksheet over worksheet instead of giving them those options. Yeah. And I think, I think part of this is too, is really kind of thinking about the messages we send to our teachers in the staff or, or, you know, in our schools. Right. So I'm, I'm assuming, are you familiar with the SAMR model? Are you familiar yes. with, so I knew you would be because I know that you have a focus on educational technology, right? So I actually, you know, Ruben Pentadura came up with this and I actually think it's been changed so much that it doesn't really reflect um, what he was kind of talking about. It was almost used as a punitive measure towards teachers, right? So for those who are listening, who aren't familiar with this, the SAMR model, basically a lot of people kind of did, uh, saw it as like levels, right? So at the lowest level, you would substitute, right? So you'd actually have like, can I do this with something other than like the different technology? So instead of reading on an iPad, and now I'm reading on a book, it's the same thing. So I'm just substituting one for the other. And that was kind of seen at the lowest level. And then you actually go to the highest level where you're talking about redefinition, right? What am I doing with the technology that I couldn't actually do before with it, right? And so a lot of people would come into these teachers' classrooms and they would look at the SAMR model, they would talk about it, and they would actually like almost punish teachers if they were at that substitution level, right? They would talk about this like it was almost a, a negative thing. So let's just kind of take these two scenarios. You have a student who is struggling to read, is having a really hard time, but then I actually give that kid an iPad. And then all of a sudden they start, you know, reading because maybe the font was too small in the book and, you know, it increased the size. So you're doing this. And so now we're saying, hey, teacher, that's actually not a good because that's substitution. You're like, well, the kid wasn't reading before. And now using this iPad, I've actually got them reading. Right. So the question that really matters isn't where you are in the SAMR model is, is it transformative to the learner? Right. So then you actually take the second case scenario and you go to redefinition. So teachers like, hey, we're going to make videos and we're going to have kids like creating all this content in a classroom. And the teacher's really excited because they've never done it. Yet one of the kids in your class has a million followers on TikTok. And they're like, I do this like literally 18 times a day. Right. So it's actually not transformative to that student in any way. It's something that they're actually used to. So really going back again, the question should always be, is it transformative to the learner? And really looking at it, not from the form of technology, not even from the form of the content, but from the from actually from the person's point of view, understanding that student and moving backward from there. Perfect. And that's wonderful. And I love what you said that. Um, and talking about the SAMR model, like you said, and and I know Katie was on the show earlier and, and we're talking about that personalized learning. And it just makes so much sense that right now, and one of the things too that I learned and that I love that she said too is, even a lot of people say, well, that's, you know, you're working with ELs, but even the, if you may have advanced, you know, courses, you don't know what that child is coming in that day. And they may just need to use a tool that day. Maybe they forgot their contacts. Say, hey, let's substitute this. Now you'll be using the iPad. Maybe they want to use the manipulatives and using a different way of learning. And so I think for me, it's just giving the students options. And nowadays, because we need to finish the curriculum by a certain time it's like mm -hmm. no 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 that we don't have time for that that's too much fun or too much time i'm just going to be very linear and everybody's going to do it this exact same way which does 
very it it hurts some of the learners because they don't understand it in that way and you're just forcing it and forcing it and forcing it and the, the child is not growing because they're not understanding because it was never tried or they never explained it in a different matter in a different modality that mm. they would understand so that those are some of the things that i've seen at least through my experience that i learned the hard way where i was like just drill 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 and then i right. was like wait a minute this isn't working like i need to go about this differently and of course for me the first thing was the realization of i need myself i need to make that mindset change i had to recognize wait a minute i was like why i i seem to be working a lot harder right. trying to get the student to learn it this way is there a different way that might make it easier and then if i find it for him will this method also work for them and then that's when i had my aha moment like oh oh but those are things that were never taught to me. It was right. things that I had to go and search for. I had to hey, go follow George Chorus on Twitter. Hey, buy the inner my get the innovator's mindset. And that just opened up the world for me in seeing that. So those are some yeah. of the things that yeah. I went through. And I think I think what's is really kind of important to understand is that we want to provide choices to our students, but not all choices are good for our students. And here's what I mean by that. So all anyone who's listening to this has had a student in their classroom where they're wearing like earbuds, right? Mm -hmm. And basically they're just, they've never worked so well in their lives. They're just so focused and I'm actually one of those people. So the reason I, I put in music when I work is because I get very easily distracted and the music actually blocks out distractions for me, right? And it's very particular music that I listen to. So you know that kid, right? But then you also know the other kid who puts on the earbuds and is like, doing this the whole class and like basically nothing gets done. And I think a lot of times what happens is that kid annoys us so much. We're so bothered by it. We say, nobody gets this right where the conversation should actually be like, Hey, this kid is, this really helps this child. This is actually, you know, kind of a, a tough situation and not good. And then, you know, the conversation is, well, what if a parent complains? Right. And so the conversation with the parents is basically, we do whatever we can to make sure every kid's successful. And in this case, with your child, when we see this, they actually they're not successful. But for this kid, that really helps them. And so if we saw that space where they actually would benefit from that, of course, we'd use that practice. But I think sometimes we get annoyed by one kid doing something that we take the option away from everybody. And so like you, it's really kind of how do we help learners figure out those pathways for themselves? And I like I think a lot about the work that I do. Uh, I write quite a bit. And in my office, I actually have like a high table that I can go so I can stand and write. So I can, and because I like to fidget around. So as a student, if you had differentiated seating and you had a couch, you had a desk and you had a high table, do you know where I would have went? And I'm going to be honest with you. I would have went to the couch. I wouldn't went to the high table. You know, why I went to the couch because I want to chill out. I want to relax. And you know what I'm going to do on the couch? Nothing. I'm going to try to do nothing. So then a teacher needs to say to me like, Hey, you really don't do anything in this space. Why don't you try doing going to the high table, right? Because I think a lot of times we just want to give kids choice, but then sometimes, you know, because they're kids, like, let's be honest, adults make bad choices too. It took me until I was like in my 30s to figure out that I actually work way better when I'm standing and actually having that connection. So I think it's really kind of providing choices, but helping students make the right choice for themselves. There's another thing that you said, and I, I want to just touch base on it. And you kind of, you talked, talked about like getting through a curriculum. And I think one of the things that we talk about 
um, with education. And I've been guilty of this too. I don't want to point fingers at anyone else before I point them at myself because all the things I'm talking about are problems are things that I actually did wrong and saw a different way, right? Inside this connection. It's not because, you know, I saw people doing this en masse wrong. It's kind of talking about my own experiences. And so a lot of times when we say like, oh, like we got to move on because I got to get through the curriculum. Understand this, getting you as a teacher, getting through the curriculum and the students learning the curriculum are actually two different timelines. They're not the same timeline. So sometimes why we want to get through the curriculum is so we can say, I did what I had to do. The kids never made it to that point, right? As opposed to saying like, hey, the, the role is to help the students learn the curriculum and going at that time frame, going at that speed. And I think that's something that I, I've tried to shift over time. And it's one of the reasons, as I said earlier, when I do professional learning experiences, they really want to set schedule. And I'm like, I don't know where people are at. So I might have to shift when I would do certain things because I'm trying to figure out. So I'm not just trying to get through my content. I'm trying to help move people forward in a way that's meaningful to them. And that's not the same timeline. And I think that's something we have to focus on both with students and with the, the professionals. And something I've always said, how do you help move people from their point A to their point B, not just get everyone move to the same spot at the same time. Excellent. Well, let's continue the conversation with meaningful change. Now, I know we were talking a little bit more classroom, classroom to teacher, and so on a lot of that. But through your experience, how can we create some meaningful change also as well, from the admin level to the teacher level? And I think right now, Let's be honest, you know, with all of the situation and people, are, things that come up on TikTok, the way the teachers are just feeling overwhelmed, you know, it's like they keep adding to the plate without taking away some of those things. You know, we understand that there's some, you know, non-negotiables that need to get taken care of, you know, for districts and things of that sort. But what are some of your, maybe through your experience, some of your suggestions or things right. that you've seen others do? Well, I think one of the things that I really kind of focus on is when you do something, are you adding to a person's plate or are you adding to the person, right? Because let's be honest, teachers don't even have plates. They have platters and they're overflowing, right? It's like Thanksgiving dinner every single day. It's just, it's all, it's, you know, it's leftovers. We, we're exhausted. We have nothing left for our families and that exhaustion point. So one of the ways I talked about earlier is actually really kind of rethinking how we do professional learning experiences. I think that's one of the, probably the highest leverage points that you can actually do is have people kind of go through this. Um, one of the things that I'm a huge advocate of, especially in a time where, you know, I'm sitting on a laptop right now, uh, you know, people here, you know, some of them are on their phones. I had a Zoom session earlier. Someone has actually called into the session. We, we live in this really mobile world. And so as an administrator, one of the things that I would do, and this is both at the school uh, admin level and central office admin level, is I would actually contact schools when I was at the district office and I say, hey, is there a teacher that I could just sit in their classroom? I have some email I got to get through. I just want to kind of observe the environment that the that we've put the teacher in, not observe the environment the teachers created, right? Those are two different things. And I would actually just go into these classrooms and I would sit for like two, three hours knocking off email. And when you're not gonna, like, I could do that email in my office. And to be honest, I get done it way quicker, right? Cause I'm like not disturbed. There's no kids coming up to me, that kind of experience. But when I would actually be in that space, it would tell me kind of like, what are some of the things that we're creating? So 
am I watching a teacher who's trying to get kids onto devices, for example, right? And the login time is two minutes, according to the IT department, but it's two minutes with 25 grade one kids. And one of the devices goes wrong. So then I see that situation and then I'm in that classroom. And then I say to, you know, then I call the IT department in front of the teacher saying like, hey, this is taking way too long. These kids need to get on. And what happens is if they can't get on, the teacher is going to say, I'm not using this anymore because it's too big a pain. And then, and then we move away from it, right? And so I've done that before in classrooms when I was an administrator and I watched teachers go, thank you. Thank you for like doing that for me and for like advocating for me. And one of the things that I think is so important is that if you make decisions for the classroom, you better be in the classrooms. And I think a lot of people are making those decisions for their teachers and they don't understand the environment. And one of the things I would say to these teachers that I would be in that space is I'm not here to observe you. I'm here to observe the environment we put you in and really try to understand that because what we do sometimes, we make things so complicated and hard that only a slight minority of people will actually utilize this only like in probably many of you listening if you've been in education long enough if you remember we had like ipad cards or like laptop cards or we had like a portable smart board and we expected everyone to use it equally we'd all sign it out and then it always ended up in two people's classrooms and basically those two people were the ones who were okay that every time it got bumped they would go through that you know uh, getting it back on and, and and calibrating it or whatever it was called and so it would just stay in those classrooms. But what we would try to do is like, how do we remove all those barriers? So there really is no excuse to not use this stuff. Because if it doesn't work, why wouldn't we use it? If I can't get on the Wi-Fi, why would I use it? And like, I've seen this too often. Starbucks is way easier to get on Wi-Fi than schools who are focused on learning. So I think there's a disconnect in that. Uh, the last thing I would say for educators, for administrators, and this is going to probably resonate with everybody. And I think it's a little bit more complicated than, you know, as, as it might sound, is how do we actually lessen the initiatives? Um, I focus on innovation. And the disconnect between that word is that schools always have to be on the cutting edge, which means they always have to be doing the new thing. And I actually totally disagree with it. I think of innovation as basically doing you know, new and better things, but really focusing in depth, right? So like, if you look at your 100 episodes of your podcast, I guarantee you, number one to this, the quality, the videos, and I don't know, unless you were just an expert right at the beginning, you probably have seen them evolve because you've had that time to kind of go through it. You've tweaked different things. You, you know, you maybe think of different questions. You like this process more, you like got rid of something that you used to do because you've had time with this. But what we do in education is we just get a little bit of time and then to the next thing. Then we go a little bit of time, go on to the next thing. So we're trying to get good at the next thing when we haven't even time to learn the last thing. And so I think it's really kind of asking, how do we lessen the things that we can do so we can be innovative, so we can actually do things in depth? And the, the analogy I always utilize is if you think of a jazz musician, right? The, the best jazz musicians in the world are known for the ability to improvise on the spot. The reason they have the ability to improvise is because they know the basics inside out. They know how to play that instrument inside out. It wasn't they just picked it up for about five minutes and they started doing stuff, right? And so I think that's what we got to get to that point where we're actually focusing on depth as educators, you know, as a system, 
so that we can actually get really good at things as opposed to always going to the next thing. Cause you know, a lot of teachers have been in education long enough. They're like, you know what? I'm just going to wait this out. Cause two years are gonna be something new. We're not going to pay much attention to that. So I'll just wait that one out. And then that, that's just basically the focus over and over and over again. Yeah. And then that's one of the things that I see is a cycle that often repeats itself where it seems more like a compliance thing. Like, Oh, we did it for this year. But okay, we're done. We we did it. We checked off the mark or you know, put a little check mark on the box yep. and let's move on to the next thing. And sometimes some of the PD and some of the initiatives are wonderful and they're great, but they just stay in their infancy stage and they never get rolled out to the campuses and nobody ever sees that information, only the people that need to be there for that and then that's it. And you know, that's something that I feel we need to be better at and i mean and this goes across the board too i mean from my experience we really need to get those and like you said and i'm the same way with technology you know i i feel i i'm one of those keep it simple keep the platform simple because again number one as a teacher you're going to have different logins different problems the student's going to have to learn a new a new platform and maybe a possibly a different login. They're not going to be able to link it up to Google Classroom. They're not going to be able to do whatever it is they can. So sometimes what we already have is great, but I often feel like you said, teachers don't dive deep into no. what is there. And then they end up getting something else that does the exact same thing, but it just has like one little extra whistle. That really doesn't make much of a difference at all as far as the student really learning that content and creating that learning experience. So I, I see that on a regular basis because everybody's like, well, I'm new and innovative. I'm new and innovative. But you haven't learned that simple tool yet that could have saved you so much <laughs> from getting Lord, this Lord. next one, you know, totally. All right, George. Well, let's go ahead and just kind of change things up a bit, you know, as we're kind of hitting the, the tail end of the show here, because I do want to ask you some other questions. Um, right now, through your work that you've seen from 2020 up until now, mm. uh, you know, pandemic, what do you see right now is very or is being very counterproductive in today's schools? And what might be some suggestions to fix that? Yeah, I, I, like uh, the obvious one is basically the focus on wellness, right? And the disconnect here. So what I've seen, and this is probably for the last couple of years, you see basically, I think I wrote about this actually in 2018, is that schools will basically work teachers to a point where they physically can go no longer. And then they'll say, but we have yoga at the end of the day. <laughs> it's like, maybe just maybe just don't work us to death. How about that part, right? And I think it's really kind of addressing um, basically some of those things in our systems that, you know, really create this, right? So like when I look at professional learning, when I used to do professional learning with my staff, where for example, we, we did portfolio development. We wanted our students to have portfolios. And so to really understand that experience, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I wanted my staff and myself as a principal. I actually, georgecrows.ca was, was built as a student as, as built as a portfolio for myself to understand how to do student portfolios to implement it even so even though i started 12 years ago when i was a principal i updated two to three times a week to this day because uh, i i wanted I, I i saw the value in it right and so when we actually started that with our staff um i spent some time teaching them how to do this and and then it was like basically an 8 to 10 a.m session i showed them some stuff and then i said okay you all know what you're doing now uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a four hour lunch break. 
So do whatever you need to do. And uh, by two o'clock, we're all going to be back in this library. We're all going to connect with each other. But I need you to write one post, right? Talk about something that's going on in your classroom. Here's a sample of this. So if you want to do it at Starbucks, go ahead. If you want to do it in your classroom, go ahead. If you want help, I'll actually be here in the library supporting you. But whatever you need to do, actually connect this, right? So like really, was it going to take four hours? Probably about half an hour. But I knew they had other things to do. And actually creating this content, but they, some of them, you know, want to have conversations. So they have like a leisurely time to do this. And what's beautiful is I built an accountability for my superintendent. So he's like, you're letting people go for four hours. I'm like, Hey, look at all these posts. You can actually see they're learning. So here's the evidence of learning, right? So I give them some flexibility through that process, but I always create some like measure that I could actually show to my higher ups that we were actually learning to this space. And then at two o'clock, we come back. And there is an expectation we're going to read each other's. And then they started reading each other's like, wow, I did not know that was going to your classroom. I'm going to start doing that. I'm like, that's what we wanted. We wanted you to go through the experience and start connecting it to what you're doing in classroom. And so a lot of people would actually try to fill those times in. Just kind of, you know, overwork teachers because we feel if they're not in the room, they're not learning. And you see this all the time at conferences uh, and professional learning days. And I've really tried to work with, uh, groups that I'm, you know, that have brought me in to consult is like, do not have me keynote and give people a 10 minute break to rush as fast as possible to their next session. And the mentality is if you're not in a session, we're wasting precious time. But then you ask people, what was the best part of that conference you went to? And like nine times out of 10, people say, there's a conversation in the hallway with, with a teacher at another school. There's a conversation in the hallway, you know, with somebody in my own school that, you know, we never get to talk. And so what I've actually really started to do with groups is to say like, hey, we're not going to take a 10 minute break. We're going to do a 30 minute reflection and connection time, which is kind of a break, but I, I don't call it that because then they feel better about it. And I actually encourage people like, hey, I want you to tweet one thing, what you're doing. But then people, it's weird they go talk to each other. They say, you know, they talk about what I shared. They dig into it, but they're doing it kind of leisurely spaced. Some people just go off by themselves because they need to just like decompress for a second. They're, they're not leaving. They're not like leaving the school and never coming back. They're going to come back to that space. And I think that when we actually create these learning opportunities, we have to ask like, are we actually creating the problem we're trying to fix? And so maybe let's just not create the problem. And I think that's something that we have to, to advocate for. But like on the other hand, and this is really important to me too, I have actually also taken control of my own health. If you are waiting for someone else to make those decisions for you, you're always going to be in trouble, right? And so I have to do this. And one of the things I've been really talking about educators with is you have to learn to say no to things, right? There are kids all over the world who, you know, need you, who, who could you know, benefit from your time, but you can't help every single kid every single day. Right. And I know that there's a lot of people say like, you know, every day we got to do this. And, and the reality of it is it will push you to a point where you're burnt out and you won't be able to help any kid on any day. Cause you won't have that. So you have to learn to create those boundaries for yourself, um, through that process. And I think if more people started doing that, then there'd be more of an awareness but when we just continuously do everything, then people take advantage of that, right? And you see this too. There's always educators on a staff who you always know who will say yes to anything you ask them. And you know what happens to them? 
they get asked to do more stuff because the people who will say no, we don't even bother with. So it's almost the people who are less eager about education actually benefit from this. And the people who are more excited, we actually punish them. Yeah, very true. I agree with you. Well, thank you for sharing that. All right. Now, George, what would you say currently right now? And I, I sent you the question, so hopefully you looked at it and maybe sure. you prepped it. But what is your current edu kryptonite? Uh, give me an example of what you said, because I was thinking about this question. Okay, here's some examples, examples that I've had. Yeah. I've had some examples that said like uh, data is an edu kryptonite. They right. said edu speak is kryptonite. Uh, you know, a little bit about, about what you said too, as well as, uh, right. you know, currently right now counterproductive, but is there anything right now else that maybe has been on your mind that you're like, Oh, come on. Like, you know, I, I, I think that for me, and I don't know, I like, cause I, I had one that came to my mind right away and I wanted to make sure I was not totally off base. Uh, one of my edu kryptonites is whining. I can't handle it. Right. <laughs> and so I want to, this is, this is very important to, to say. I don't actually think that saying here's an issue is whining. Those are two different things. But I think continuously talking about an issue and complaining about it actually leads to negative uh, reactions. And it's like anyone who's been in education, we've all been in staff rooms where it's, you know, we just can complain, 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 and things don't get it solved. I think for me, how you how you deal with that is like, okay, so here, I understand there is that problem. I get it. How do we actually move forward? How do we actually fix that problem? So like, again, whining and actually identifying problems, I actually see as two totally different things. And I think sometimes it's almost that we love complaining. And I've been guilty of this too. I don't want to pretend that I've never just kind of like got excited about how much I could whine about something. And so I really try to get out of that. And I think when I talk about this, um, I think of it not, you know, and I understand, you know, people might not agree with me and I understand this. The reason I actually don't partake, I try not to partake in that is because it is actually extremely detrimental to my mental health. I can fall into a spiral very, very quick. And I think people say like, you know, um, that like I can be, you know, toxic positivity, right? Like that's a terminology that's being shared. And I think here's the analogy that I've used, right? And I can, I actually understand that terminology, right? is like, let's say your house is on fire, right? And you're in the middle of your house. And you're like, Ooh, that's nice and warm. That's probably toxic positivity, right? Cause that's not a good situation. Whereas I see kind of the, the, the way that I approach things is if your house is on fire, you have to say like, Hey, the house is on fire. We better do something really quick or this is going to get worse. Right. And kind of addressing that need. So I understand that aspect, but I think that, you know, um, just pointing and say, look, someone else's house is on fire. Like, you know, I'm pointing it out over and over again also doesn't put the fire out. Right. So it's really kind of like, Hey, let's, let's look at some of the problems that we actually have, but then identify solutions because we can get into, we can get into loops with this stuff where nothing is actually ever solved. And then the problem just perpetuates. And then we can get into these cycles of, you know, negativity. And like, let's be honest, negativity can be very toxic as well. If more so in anything, and then it starts to catch on. And then who does that actually harm in the end? Our kids. That's kind of the point, right? So it's like, hey, here's this problem. We need to address this because if we don't address this, this is not going to help anybody. This is not going to help you. It's not going to help your health. It's not going to help your kids. And so how do we find those ways forward? So I don't know if that that's a 
a good answer for an edgy kryptonite. I just, it's something that I struggle with. And I, I, I try to surround myself with people who, who look for solutions to move forward, not who are just, you know, blindly optimistic. Cause I'm like, I'm a pretty, you know, I'm a pretty critical guy myself, but I'm always saying like, Hey, here's this issue. I got to figure out a way I got to figure out a way for it. Perfect. No, that's a great answer. Thank you for sharing that. All right, George, we're coming down to the last two questions. First one, if you can have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Oh, you got to give me an example. The first thing I think is my kids, right? If I can have a That's bill, perfect. Yeah. I would why have not? my kids, right? Because I'm like, yeah, I, if I could see, the more I could see my kids, the better. That's right? perfect. That's you can perfect. actually see them behind me too. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I, uh, when I, when I get to do my presentations on the road, one of the things I always share my students on, you know, the, the big stage. And I think, you know, people really appreciate it because they see that human side of it, but it's always, it's always kind of like selfish, right? I like, it's a good way for me to connect with my kids and, and see and remind and reminds me why I do what I do. Perfect. That's a great answer. I really appreciate that. And the last question, George, for this hundredth episode celebration. So. If you and I were to switch roles and this was your podcast and I was your guest, what would be one question you would like to ask me? Well, actually, you are going to be on my podcast, <laughs> right? So I am pumped about this. So I'm going to ask you, you you know the Three Questions podcast. Have you ever followed Three Questions podcast? Yes. Okay, so I want you to answer the first question that I always ask my guests. When you look at your career and you look at everything you've done and you think of a teacher that had an impact on you who's a teacher that inspired you and why uh, that was mr rodriguez he was actually a substitute teacher he was never a full-time teacher and uh, the reason he did that was when he would come in to sub for mr margo's class we knew that we weren't going to do what the lesson plan said right. but him being a science teacher he taught us things that were for us were a little bit more relevant than just the curriculum but this is what I took from Mr. Rodriguez. See, one day we walked in and our whole lesson, he walked up to the whiteboard and wrote C. Hopkins Cafe. And he said, this is all you're going to need to know. These are the seven elements that the human body needs to survive. So, of course, you've got carbon, you've got hydrogen, oxygen, phosphorus. Mm -hmm. You've got, I keep forgetting what K, oh, potassium is K iodine you need uh what is it nitrogen you need oh what's the s again i forget but then of course it's calcium and iron right. and then s i forget what it was what was that do you remember <laughs> no anyway, you're at the wrong guy yeah, yeah I'm the asking wrong guy. i never had him as a teacher but yeah anyway so c hopkins cafe and from that moment on i don't know why that always stuck with me i mean i've had and and not to take anything away from all my teachers because right. i did have wonderful teachers but it really comes back to the way that he made us feel. Right. And I remember, and I've told the story where I ran into him. He has passed now, but I ran into him prior to him passing. Maybe this was about three years ago. And I saw him, I believe it was at the doctor's office. I was just going for a checkup and I recognized him and he went to go get some water at the water fountain and I caught up with him. And I said, Mr. Rodriguez, and he turned around and he was kind of shocked, you know, years, you know, the age. And you can tell, like, you know, he he was just very rattled. And he's like, I, I, I don't remember much these days. And right. but I went and told him, I said, look, 
I just want to tell you something. You came into sub for Mr. Margo's class when I was a freshman. And I want to tell you that I still remember C. Hopkins Cafe. Wow, like the look on his face, his that smile, his eyes teared up. And that right there, when I saw his reaction, I was like, that that's what I want. Like, in other, well, not what I want, but that's that feeling of being a teacher. Like, this is why I do what I do, because you never know when the next student might come and say, hey, Mr. Mendoza, in fifth grade, I remember we were doing scratch coding. And now look at me, I'm doing this or, hey, right. you know, things of that sort. But that, to me, I will always remember him as being that one person that really has played a big part in my career just because of that thing. And it's and it's it's Mr. Rodriguez, correct? Yes, Mr. Rodriguez. And so you know what that means. Shout oh, out. Give him a shout out. Oh, no. Yes. Because look at the impact that he's had on you. Yes. <laughs> so that like in that, you know, obviously I'm I'm watching the comments as uh, we're going through this, which is pretty distracting, but I'm very interested in what people are saying. And so you can actually see that impact that he has and all the other teachers that they've had on you and how you're impacting, you know, this entire community. And it's just, it's wonderful to be a part of this. And so congratulations, by the way, uh, again, on a hundred podcast, what an honor to be here, even though you mentioned Katie Novak like three times and I'm, I'm not going to hold that against you, right? You're still being by the podcast, but congratulations, Fonz. You, you, you've uh, done an amazing job building this all up. Thank you so much, George. And just coming yeah. from you too. And I want to thank all of our viewers right now, Dr. Corbet also as well, and his wife, Marielena Corbet, who have been just amazing mentors through the um, educational technology program. And of course, mentors right now during my doctoral study. So big shout out to them. Shout out. Oh. Shout out. <laughs> and, what the heck? There you go. And then, of course, I want to yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm going to go down the list first. Tim Cavey was the first one on here at the very top of the show congratulating us. So Tim Cavey, also fellow Canadian. Uh, we've got Mel, Leslie. We've got Amanda. We've got Josh Tovar also, who was joining us. Wonderful administrator. We have Gerardo Navarrete joining us from Mexico, Campeche. We've got Professor Carlos Espinosa joining us from Latin America, uh, you know, South America. So thankful for all of them that were joining us here live. And of course, special a special shout out to Abid Patel. <laughs> there Abid. You go. Hey, I, Abid Patel, I see him on Twitter all the time. So really good to see him in the chat here today. Yeah, so it's great to see Abid. He's probably asleep now. He has to wake up in a couple yeah. of hours to go to work, being in the UK and everything. But, you know, want to thank everybody for making this uh, show possible, as always, from the bottom of my heart. I really appreciate all of your support. And as always, I just ask, go visit our website, mayatech.life. Give us a review. Check out our episodes. Please make sure you fill up the Flipgrid too. I will post a link to that Flipgrid for the 100th episode. Shout out next week. We'll have a reflection episode on the first 100 episodes where I will be taking sound bites and clips from all my guests. And uh, it'll probably be a two-parter because of some of the clips that have really been uh, wonderful and have changed my life, have changed uh, the way that I think and even the way that I do things. Because what I love about this, it's not only my one hour of PD with a special guest, but it is an hour of wonderful PD, genuine and authentic speak from our amazing guest to all of you. So thank you, everybody. I really appreciate you all. And we will see you 
next Wednesday. But before we dismiss, or before we dismiss, because the bell does not dismiss you, I do. <laughs> right. um, no, I just, uh, George, please let us know where our guests can go ahead and connect with you. Yeah, georgecaros.ca. Um, you'll find everything there at gcaros. And great to connect with all of you. Stephanie Rossi, one of my co-authors on Because of a Teacher, great to see you. So yeah, I, I'd love to connect with you. And yeah, I'd love to hear from you on Twitter, Instagram. If you, Hey, if you want to see cute baby and dog pictures, Instagram at gcaros. That's where a place to go, right? It's probably a, a good thing needed in the world today is seeing those babies reminding you of why we do what we do. Excellent. Thank you. And yes, also thank you, Steph Rothstein. I'm sorry I missed your name, but Steph has also been a very wonderful part of my life, you know, connecting with Twitter and of course the Google Innovator Project along with Leslie. So we definitely have some amazing, amazing uh, viewers here today and wonderful educators that are passionate. But as always, thank you so much, guys. And don't forget, stay techie, my friends.